Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, through chapter 53, verse 12, Psalm 22, verses 1 through 11, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and Luke 22, verse 39 through 23, verse 49. In the 1980s, a pastor came home after a long day of work. He walked in, put down his Schofield Bible, and walked into the kitchen where he heard some meat frying. To his surprise, his wife wasn't there. No one was. His kids' homework was sitting on the kitchen table, but they were nowhere to be seen. It was as if they had suddenly vanished. Then in a panic, he thought, oh no, the rapture happened and I missed it. What am I going to tell the church? What am I going to tell the church board? Ignoring the questionable theology of the rapture, the joke is funny because we can imagine the scene. A pastor standing before his church board after the rapture, everyone looking at each other and wondering, why are you here? It can be a question asked in surprise at seeing someone you don't expect to see, but it can also be a more thoughtful, penetrating question getting at one's motives. The question on everyone's mind on the first Palm Sunday was probably something like, why are you here? Everyone probably wanted to know why Jesus was in Jerusalem, to include his own disciples. But Jesus turns that question around on us. We'll start with the Romans. From Pontius Pilate on down, I'm sure all the Romans were well aware of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that day. First of all, nothing got by them. They watched everything that happened with an eye to maintaining peace and order at all costs. And Pontius Pilate had several reasons for being particularly concerned about any disturbance in Jerusalem, so he would have been sure to keep a close eye on Jesus. It didn't help that other so-called messiahs had entered Jerusalem to cheering crowds before. It happened three times during the Maccabees alone. It I would be surprised if there wasn't any conversation between the Roman authorities and Jesus, or at least his disciples, to ascertain, why are you here? Would Jesus cause an uprising? Did he pose a threat to Roman rule? Yes, he did but not for the reasons they were expecting. Jesus went to lengths to avoid political power when much less worthy men sought it out. The true threat to Roman power came from the reaction to Jesus by the Jewish leaders. They used threats to get Pontius Pilate to do what they wanted, and they had real power to cause him harm, as we will see on Good Friday. Some in the crowd likely hoped that Jesus was a threat to Roman power. Many had heard stories about this traveling miracle worker who had done things no one else had ever done before. His teaching frustrated Jewish authorities even more so than John the Baptist. According to Matthew 21:11, some thought that he was a prophet. That's no minor thing, since no prophet had been heard in the land for hundreds of years. Others surely believed he was the promised Messiah, here to lead them to freedom. Either way, those in the crowd that day Jesus arrived probably expected something big was about to happen now that Jesus had finally come to town. 
The Jewish leaders also likely wondered why Jesus had come to Jerusalem. He was going to the seat of their power. He had evaded them before, but they must have felt that surely Jesus had made a mistake this time. He was going to cause a confrontation for sure, and doing so on their home turf, he was bound to fail. The members of the Sanhedrin likely went into full-blown mission planning mode once they heard Jesus was approaching, so they could be ready to bring his troublemaking to an end. Like Pontius Pilate, they wouldn't stand for anyone to question their authority. The disciples should have known why Jesus was there, but their behavior would indicate that they didn't really understand. He had warned them several times that he would be arrested, beaten, and killed, as recorded in Matthew 16:21 and others. It's not like they didn't know what he was saying. Two famous examples are Peter's misguided rebuke of Jesus after predicting his own death, and Thomas urging all of them to go to Jerusalem to die with Jesus. Maybe the news was just too awful for them to fully process and seemed completely contradictory to the power that Jesus clearly possessed so that it seemed impossible that anyone could defeat him. You know what? They were right. All these things only happened because Jesus allowed them. Further complicating their thoughts, the disciples must have felt Jesus' sense of mission, that unavoidable pull to Jerusalem. They had been heading that way for some time. And if for no other reason that they had finally arrived in the Big Olive, my apologies to New York City, it must have been obvious that big things were about to happen. Jesus had been ministering in the backwaters of Israel, and now they had arrived at the center of the action. This had to mean something. The why question is interesting. It goes straight to purpose and motivations of the heart. It's unlike factual when, where, or who questions. Anyone can answer those. They are impersonal. That's why Jesus isn't so interested in those. He wants to know the why of people. What is going on in your heart? When you know someone's why, it is possible to meet their deepest needs. It is possible to love them well. After all these people trying to understand the why of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, the question gets turned around. Jesus asked Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, Friend, why are you here? Yes, it is truly remarkable that Jesus addressed his betrayer as friend, and one could preach an entire sermon on that topic alone. But apart from that, it's a fascinating question. Jesus knew he was being betrayed. He knew what Judas was up to. Surely Jesus wasn't asking a tactical question like, what is your role in the plan that requires your presence here now? It's probably not even the more obvious question of, why are you betraying me? I think Jesus is asking the more broad question, what is in your heart? What is driving you now? after all that we've been through together. It must have been fascinating and a little scary to be in a conversation with Jesus. Of course, the Bible only includes the highlights of what he said, 
But most of our conversations remain at the surface level, never daring to dive down to the heart level of truth. We're uncomfortable with that degree of honesty and revelation, even within families. Did Jesus even bother with small talk? I don't know. But I do know that he never missed an opportunity to draw people out. He wasn't afraid of any messiness. He didn't avoid our fears and hurts. In fact, he was drawn to them. He desired nothing more than to shine holy light into the dark recesses of our souls and through that to bring restoration and wholeness. I get the sense that even now Jesus is offering peace and forgiveness to Judas if he will accept it. Peter faced a similar situation on the banks of the Sea of Galilee sometime later when Jesus asked him, Do you love me more than these? Again, it's the heart question that Jesus asks. Peter responded rightly. His heart was healed and he was restored. Judas did finally feel remorse for his betrayal, but we have no evidence that his remorse led to restoration. In fact, quite the opposite. Remorse is a key ingredient in turning to Jesus, but remorse alone is not enough. At one point after teaching a difficult lesson, Jesus asked his disciples if they were going to abandon him as others had done. Peter's answer on behalf of the disciples is surprisingly astute. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus wanted to know why they were still with him and if it would last. Of course, we know from Matthew 26, 56, that all the disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus knew there was a limit to their commitment. Of course, all that changed with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. After that, we see a complete transformation of the mostly timid disciples into men of great faith. And as we know from church tradition, many of the disciples died for their faith. You don't get more committed than that. These are men who have successfully answered the question for themselves, why are you here? Now it's our turn. Jesus asks you and I, friend, why are you here? Why do you call me Lord? How far does your commitment go? We need to be asking ourselves, are we in this for the right reasons? Are we fully committed? What happens when we are tested and we will be tested? Will we abandon him in the deep darkness of the garden like the disciples? Or worse, will we completely turn on him like Judas? If you had asked them these questions before they did these things, they would have said they would never do that. In fact, Jesus did ask. And yet, when they were tested, they all to varying degrees failed. Jesus wants to know our why. We can deliberate until the end of time his why. Why did Jesus do things the way he did? But what's important, vitally important, is for us to determine our why. 
On this Palm Sunday, when we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago, we recognize that almost everyone misunderstood what Jesus was doing, from the Romans to the crowds to the Jewish leaders to even his disciples. From our vantage point, that question has been answered. But the question Jesus asked Judas in the garden is still being answered by each of us every day of our lives. Friend, why are you here? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.